God, uh, 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 we bring, oh God, uh, our, oh God, our worship and our praise. Uh, it's not a sacrifice to worship you, God. It's not a sacrifice to praise you, God. It's not a sacrifice, oh God. It's from our hearts and not just from our lips. Father, we love you tonight and we praise you tonight. You've given us every breath, oh God, that we breathe today. You've given us, oh God, a clear mind and a clear conscience. You've given us your peace and your joy, Lord God, that passes all understanding. You've given us life and health and breath. You've given us light and not darkness, oh God. You have given us, oh God, this great salvation. You have given given us your spirit. You've given us your power, your mercy. Oh, and your grace, you've empowered us, oh God, to be, oh God, your worthy vessels today. Holy and wonderful and mighty and righteous are you, Lord. Great is your goodness and great is your mercy and great is your grace. You are our healer, our deliverer, our shield and our defense. You are our strong tower, Lord. You're our best friend. Oh, God, there's no God like my God. There's power in your name, Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Power in the name of Jesus to heal and to deliver Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in that name that's above every name, Jesus, at the mention of your name, the devils must flee right now. In the name of Jesus, there's healing in your name, there's miracles in your name, Jesus, there's salvation in your name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we don't want to hurry on with our agenda tonight. You are our agenda, God. You are the center of all that we are and all that we have. You are the center of our joy. You are the center of our peace. You are the center of our everything, oh God. All that we have and all that we are has been provided by you, Jesus. And we honor you for that tonight. We honor you, God. We honor you, God. Oh, Jesus, every word fitly spoken tonight. Oh, God, my God. Oh, God, I stick my toes out tonight. Oh, God, if you need to step on my toes, God, I'm sticking them out there, God. I want you to step on my toes. I want you to talk to me, God. I want you to deal with me, God. Have your way with me, God. It's not my will, Father. It's your will. As my heavenly Father, you know what I have need of, God. You know what I have need of, God. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Could we give him a hand clap of praise right now, Jesus? Amen. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You're worthy of our highest praise. You're worthy of our highest praise. All the praise and glory and honor we can give you tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I think there was an old TV show one time called Father Knows Best. I never watched it. I just heard about it before my time. (laughs) I think it was in the 50s or early 60s. Amen. But our father, and there was a point to that show. At the time it was written, it was all about fathers and mothers, and your father always knew best. If you had a question, you went to your father, your dad, right? 
And so our Heavenly Father knows what we have need of. And our natural fathers knew what we had need of. Sometimes what they knew that we had need of was not necessarily very comfortable on our side of the equation. Because it was cool when they knew that we had need of an ice cream cone. Or when we got to split a McDonald's cheeseburger four ways. That was cool, but when it was time for the punishment or the scolding or or the things that were uncomfortable, all of a sudden we didn't believe that Father knows best thing as much as we did for the other stuff. But our Father, our Heavenly Father, knows what we have need of. And He knows when we need to be have a good talking to. I'm not trying to lead you up to anything. <laughs> I'm not going to yell at anybody tonight. But we just have to remember that. It's not all going to be all just roses and wonderful. God had to come down on several of his key people in the Bible, if you go back and and read it. He had to leave Joseph down in that dungeon for a little while till Joseph got his attitude right. Because he knew that he was going to elevate him to a position where he couldn't carry that negative, contrary attitude about his brothers with him. Because he knew, God knew that he was going to have to face his brothers that sold him into slavery. And so God knows what we have need of sometimes, Sister Vicki, and sometimes we need just a good whooping from God. And I don't want, I don't want to miss that. Do you? I don't want to miss out on the whoopings. I couldn't have, couldn't have said that in the natural, but I'm glad I got those, Brother Becker. I'm glad I got those whoopings from my dad. I'm glad I got those talking tos. I, I'm glad I got those those times where I was restricted, because it was for my good. And everything, well, that scripture says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Whose good are they for? Ours and God's. Right? Because it's all about him and his will, isn't it? And that's what he wants us. He, he just wants us to have a right mind and a right attitude and a right spirit. All the time. And we're not always going to have a right attitude and a right spirit all the time. We'd like to. But we're, we're fallible. We have this flesh to deal with. And it's an everyday job, keeping your flesh in submission, keeping that old man dead, being submitted to God. And he knows that. He knows. Our dads knew it was hard for us to, to always... It, it, we were the weird kid if we obeyed all the time, right? Anybody in here was like that? You were just the perfect model child? I don't see any hands going up. No. <laughs> Think hard before you stick your hand up because God's watching. So not just what I have to say tonight, but as we go through this, we have to understand that as as things get more and more down and dirty, I guess, as, as, as things in our world and in our country get uh, more and more desperate or whatever the word is you want to use, we, we have to understand that God is expecting us to step up. And he might have to get up in our grill a little bit to get us to wake up and pay attention to the fact that we need to step up. I don't know why I'm saying all this. I'm just trying to do what the, the Holy Ghost is telling me to do and say and Try to keep Vince out of the way. Amen? So we've been talking about what? Being what? Laborers together with God. There, I'll give you a help on the screen there. Nobody in that picture is standing around, I don't think. Nope, there's one guy standing there. But laborers aren't standing around. 
If you're a laborer on a construction site and you're standing around for very long, they're going to tell you to go. Because they'll go find another laborer that's willing to work. Amen? Let's read our, our key scripture for this ongoing lesson. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And I have fed you milk, and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet are ye now able. And if somebody told me that, I'd want to get past the milk. I'd want to, I wouldn't want to keep sucking on the milk. I'd want to get on the meat, wouldn't you? For ye are not, are you not? He's asking them. He's not telling them. For ye, are, for ye, are, for ye are yet carnal, aren't you? Admit it. He's telling them. For whereas there's among you envying, there's there's signs that you're carnal. There's envying and there's strife and divisions. Is we shouldn't have that. For fellow believers, fellow laborers, we shouldn't have that. But we're flesh. And are you not yet carnal? It's not that they weren't believers. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. These, these are the people he's talking to. But he's telling them this because he's God told him to tell them this because he's trying to get their attention and say, Hey, it's time to step up. Stop being carnal. And walk as men. You just walk as men. You're just walking as carnal men. You know better. That's the underlying message here. Next verse. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, ye are not, are you not carnal? It's not about the men that you're, it's not about the men that God sent to you. It's not about, they aren't the one you're following. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers to whom by whom you believe. They're just ministers. They're just servants. They're just a voice and, and, a, and a light and a witness that God sent to you. Even as the Lord gave to every man. He gave every man the ability to do that. Not just me and Apollos, Paul's saying. Every one of you has that capability. We're, no, we're nobody special. And he says that here. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We're not taking credit for this. We're just we had a job to do. God sent me to do one thing, and God sent Apollos to do something else. But then we had to kind of step back and say, okay, God, we did our part. Now it's your turn to do your part. God didn't send us to do his part, too. Because last time I checked, none of us could save anybody. You might save them from falling in the ditch or something, but you can't save their soul from a devil's hell. And I know there's some good people in this room, but I'm sorry, but none of us can save anybody. So then neither is he that planteth anything. That's not that's not saying you're you're nothing. You're, you're nothing special. If you plant, you're just a vessel. You're just a laborer. Like one of those people in that picture. You're just a laborer. You're out there working with everybody else. Neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. And it's God who gets the glory too, isn't it? That's who we want to have the glory. God, not us. But Paul's saying, I'm not doing this for glory. So you can say, I'm I'm a follower of Paul or Apollos. I'm not doing it for that. My motivation is simply to please God. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth is one. See, that's the way God looks at it. It doesn't matter to God. If you stole a piece of gum out of your mom's purse and I stole $500,000 from a bank, it's stealing, isn't it? God sees it the same way. <laughs> well, that's a that's a worse sin than that sin. I'm going to punish you more than I'm going to punish her. It's stealing. The, the amount doesn't matter. The severity of the stealing doesn't matter to God. So to God, he that planteth and he that watereth is one. Because we're all in this together. We're all in this for one purpose. To see souls added to the kingdom. And who's doing the adding? God is. In that book of Acts chapter 2, at the end of that there, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In one translation, it says such as were being saved. So we do have a role. 
in the process of getting them there, he's not going to step sidestep us and teach them. We got to do that. We got to we got to love them. We got to minister to them, but God's going to be the one to save them ultimately. And it says there and every man shall receive his own reward. Every human. Sorry ladies, you don't get out of it. That word man is human, not male. His own reward according to his own labor. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. God is judging each one of us individually according to our labor. And we've talked about this through this lesson. He's not going to do it without us. You have a role to play. He knows what your specific destiny is. He knows what his specific destiny is. He knows what yours and yours and everybody in here has something that God didn't just save you to sit on a pew. He saved you to be busy about his business. And if you don't know what that is, he's he might be able to tell you, but really the one you need to go to is the one who saved you. He'll tell you. He's not a meanie. He will tell you if you ask him. But just be be prepared when you go to ask him, what is it you want me to do? Because if he tells you something that you go, but, 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 <laughs> that's not what I expecting you to say. You think Paul said that, Peter? Do you think any of those disciples that never got to retire, but they all got their retirement plan was being hung upside down on a cross or being cut with a sword or whatever? Do you think they tried to argue and say, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to die if I do that. It's his business. We're his laborers. He knows what's best. And he knows what we're capable of through him. Yeah, you can't do it. You're right. But he can through you. And that's the joy and the beauty of it. Like he said, it's a beautiful thing. Right? Because then who gets the glory when he does it through you? He does. Right? Uh, It's an amazing thing that God chose mankind to manifest his will. Think about it. Because there's some people out there that if we look at them in the natural, in in the flesh, we go, there is no way God could use that. I don't know. I don't see what God could use that for. We do that. In our mind. We don't say it out loud, but we prejudge people sometimes in our mind. And it's effort to not do that. Because they don't look like us. Especially if they don't look like us. We, But you don't know. I have talked to more people that looked like they were the most, you know, horrible, mean, like a biker dude or something that just, you, you're afraid, you're even afraid to, to look at them funny because they're just going to come over there and thump you or something. But if you actually walk up and talk to somebody like that, sometimes they are the most gentle, most kind people you ever met. But in our mind, we're prejudging what they, we see on the outside. We don't know what's going on on the inside. So we're going to talk about that tonight, about prayer. But God chose us for that. We've been given power and authority to defeat the prince of the power of the air. Do you realize that? It's like being a state trooper and not realizing that you have authority to pull people over and give them speeding tickets. And you just drive around in your car. There goes another one speeding. I don't know. (laughs) Hope somebody gets him. (laughs) They were thick as thieves out there on the interstate today. We must have seen four people pulled over on the way here. They're out there doing their job. They're out there exercising their authority that the governor of the state gave them. And I want them to do that. What if there's some drunk driver out there? I want them to be out there being diligent. And so we didn't just get this Holy Ghost and this blood applied in this name for nothing. He gave it to us just like he He gave it to those disciples. He told them, greater works than these shall you do. 
Because I go to my Father. Because I'm going to send you not just a comforter, but I'm going to send you some power. We're going to talk about that. So the type of prayer, we've been talking about prayer, is one of the things that the Father expects us to do as his co-laborer, as his co on this co-mission that we are on with him. The type of prayer or how we pray is as important as the act of praying itself. You can just go through the motions and just pray some prayers and, and you know, okay, I did my time. Time's up. You know, set a little timer that goes, ding, okay, I'm done. I did my time. I'm going on to do my own thing. And I don't know if that, it's not my place to judge if that's effective prayer or not, but my tendency is to think it's not. Because God's not up there checking off, okay, Linda did an hour. She's good for the day. Terry only did 30 minutes. He owes me 30 minutes. Right? It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Is it? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. At least that's not how it works for me. So my question to you is this. Are we praying need-based prayers? What are need-based prayers? God fix this and Take care of this and and all that. Are we playing praying kingdom based prayers? What what's best for the kingdom? Why would we I mean if you know scripture, if you know even a little scripture, why would you pray about stuff for yourself? Why is there no need? He knows what we have need of. So he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, or any of that. Don't even say, we're going to do this or do that. Don't make plans, he said, because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Didn't he say that? He asked him, how do you want us to pray? And he told him. One of the, right out of the box, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's kingdom praying, in a nutshell. What's best for the kingdom? Matthew six thirty one through thirty three says, "Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Don't even worry about what clothes you have." Oh, I got to go to that sale at Coles. No, you don't. You got more shoes than you can wear in a week. You got more suits in the closet than you can wear in a month. I don't, I'm not talking about anybody in here. I'm just making this stuff. I look at my own closet sometimes and say, I got to get rid of some stuff. Right? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And that's, that's kind of a derisive term, sort of. Those those heathen Gentiles, they seek after. They're more worried about what they got to wear and what they're going to eat and where they're going to sleep and, and all that and how they're going to pay their bills and all that stuff. But your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need that you have need of all these things. He knows. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Put God's kingdom first. My wife and I were listening to a missionary wife talking. Somebody shared some uh, school of missions lessons with us. And this particular lady was talking about she had kids that were getting grown up and coming back to the States. They were overseas in Europe. And her kids were about your kid's age. And they were coming back here to the States to go to college or whatever. And she was really, as a mother, she was really kind of, I'm going to say the word, worried about her kids. Because there was a lot of horror stories about missionary kids coming back to the States to go to college, go to Bible college or whatever, and all kinds of things just going left and sideways. If you're, not, if you're a parent, you don't concern yourself about that even just a little bit. Something wrong with you. I did. 
for just a little while, and then after a while you figure out, okay, they're going to make it. But it's their decision. My sons are in their mid-30s. It's their decision, even if to tomorrow. Well, you know, it's their decision, but I'm not going to stop praying for him, Brother Becker. I'm not going to stop lifting him up. And so God, this, this sister was praying and she said that God spoke to her and said, if you'll take care of the things that I love, I'll take care of the things you love. And she went, whoa. Okay. So she stopped focusing on her kids and she, she went back to focusing on that country and the people in that country and winning the souls of that country. And she said God did go and take care of her kids. It doesn't mean that they didn't go through things, but she, he did take care of them. And so we've got to approach what God has called us to do like that. We can't get distracted. You said that the other night. You can't get distracted by things that are going on around you from what God's called you to do. And it's easy to get distracted. <clears throat> Remember we read in the book of Acts chapter 26 verse 18. Paul was sharing his testimony with King Agrippa. And, and he was saying that Jesus was saying all this stuff to him. When he had him down on the ground blinded. And, and he was giving him all these instructions. And he, one of the things he said that you're going to do, Paul... As, you're, as you go out and do this ministry, you're going to, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. What a tall order. He didn't tell Paul that he was going to go out and save a bunch of people. He said, I'm sending you out there to turn them from darkness to light. So Paul, God was indicating, Jesus was indicating to Paul that there was a lot of people in darkness. There's even a prophecy that says the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. How many of us were in darkness? Spiritual darkness. What is darkness likened to in the Bible? It's, it's the power of Satan in operation. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of the darkness of this world. And light is indicative of what? The power of God in our life. Light and darkness can't be in the same place at the same time. One's going to rule and the other isn't. So there's a lot of people, and most of us were there, that were in darkness, that are in darkness right now. That word darkness in the Greek, it means spiritual darkness, implying in that scripture that we read, to turn them from darkness to light. Not just darkness, darkness, like dark outside. But it says spiritual darkness, implying ignorance or error. The works of darkness, such as works, such works as are usually practiced by men in darkness or secretly. Synonymous with thick, dark cloud. Gloom, darkness, a thick mist or fog. So it's not just like pitch dark darkness, but it's a fog. You know, the, these windows in here are all sort of a form of darkness, aren't they? They're opaque, right? The sunlight is shining through them. And you can see the sunlight, but you really can't see through the window. So you can see a little bit of light, but you can't see all the light because that opaqueness, that paint that's on those windows is, is making it kind of almost sort of dark. You want to look at it that way. And so a lot of people's minds are in different phases, or if you will, of darkness. There, there's opaqueness. They can see some light, but they can't see all the light. And so they walk around like that thinking that that's enough light. So fogginess and opaqueness might as well be darkness. Anybody ever drove in the fog? If it's a quarter mile or less visibility in the fog, you don't go the regular speed limit on the interstate. You don't. You don't. We've driven in some mountainous areas in Tennessee and places where all of a sudden you just, you just, it went from 
bright sunshine to fog, just like that. And you couldn't see hardly your hand in front of your face. And those are the kind of areas where they, where you see it on the news, where they have multiple car pileups. Because people keep driving the regular speed limit. And they don't realize if you can't, you don't have time to react if you see something stopped in front of you. That's darkness. But I can see, but it's darkness. So we got some, there's some people in this world that are, that are in darkness and don't realize they're in darkness. So the Bible says that we are all born in sin and shaping in iniquity. So that we're born with darkness in our life, darkness in our heart. We're born that way. It's in us. It's called our sin nature. An unregenerated man is at a distinct disadvantage because he is under the power and the influence of the God of this world. We, if we were in darkness at one time, we were, even though we were religious and we might have attended a church somewhere and didn't know the truth, we were still in darkness. Right? We were still under the influence, ever, ever how subtle it might be, we were still under the influence of the enemy, keeping us bound by that religious tradition and all that religion that didn't amount to anything in our life, really. Just some routines that we were going through. I've been there. I know. Religious exercises. Yeah, I did my time. Punched my time card. I didn't, I, I went to my mass for the week. Let's go party. Let's go watch the Super Bowl. Let's go do something fun. That's how I grew up. I thought that was great. That was the way it was supposed to be. Until I found out that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so we, like those unregenerated people out there right now, needed somebody to help us along. We didn't, you know, we're like the turtle. We didn't get up on the fence post by ourselves. Somebody had to help us get up there. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, know that he didn't climb up there by himself. Anybody ever heard that before? (laughs) It's not new. They need our help spiritually. We we can't go talk them out of whatever it is they're believing. We can't. We don't have it in us. But there's a way we can help them. It's going to be through prayer. That's one of the things that we're called to do as a labor together with God. He needs us to pray his will into existence in the earth. And what's his will? He would that all men might be saved. 2 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, and, and not as Moses, which put a veil on his, over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which, which is abolished, but their, in, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. So even religious people in that day had a veil of darkness upon their heart. Same veil, the same scales that were on Paul's heart. That the Bible says that, that, that the scales, as it were, like fish scales, fell from his eyes. That, that darkness came away. How many remember that moment when the revelation came and you went, wow, I see it. I've got to be baptized in Jesus' name or I'm not going to be saved. I've got to have the Holy Ghost. Where's the water? Anybody ever been there? We, I had to, when I was in, in overseas, we, I was in Korea for some school and we were teaching this guy a Bible study in the library on base and it was like 11 o'clock at night and this guy just, he just saw it. Boom, at that moment. And he had to be baptized right now. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. What if Jesus comes? And so the guy I was with knew the, the current missionary there. And so he called up the, it's called the first church in Korea. It's where Brother Bernard 
was raised as a boy when his mom and dad were missionaries in Korea. And so we drove there. And we went into that building, and it was about 35 degrees out. And the floor in that building, it was the original building that his mom and dad bought. The floor just kind of went like this. As you walked, it went up and <laughs> But that was their church. And not one guy, it wasn't just one guy that showed up to unlock the door and let us in. It was like they brought the whole church. And they were grabbing guitars, and they were just like, we're going to celebrate. Somebody's getting baptized in Jesus' name. And that water and that baptismal, it was made for Koreans. Somebody really small. <laughs> so that big old dude got in that water, and it was like about the same temperature as the air outside, about 35 degrees. So he immediately had stammering lips, if you can understand what I'm saying. So it didn't, wasn't long for him to get the Holy Ghost. But that, that was exciting. Second Corinthians 4, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have this ministry. Everybody raise your hand. Everybody. Jesse, come on. Raise your hand. Barb, I'm not, not going on until you raise your hand. Everybody. We have this ministry. We have this ministry. You need to say that to yourself. We have, I have a ministry. Paul's talking to the church. He's not talking to one individual. Talking to the church. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. How many were in that church? Nobody knows. Because it was from house to house to house to house to house. So there's no way of knowing how many congregants there were. And that letter wasn't just to the current congregants. It was to anybody that read that letter. As we have received mercy, we faint not, but ye have, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When they were handling the word of God, they did not have a Bible. It was all word of mouth. So they were handling the wisdom and the things of God that had been taught them. But if this gospel be hid, probably a bunch of you could finish that, it's hid to them that are lost. I love this next verse. This is true. In whom the God of this world, he is the God of this world, right? He hasn't abdicated that yet. He's fixing to. Not because he wants to, because he's going to. But he is the God of this world, hath blinded or spiritually hardened the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light, there's that light, of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. They're blinded by the enemy. We were blinded by the enemy. He's subtle. Any whisper in your ear, it's okay. You're fine. Your religious experience is good enough. You don't need to go all over, you know, overboard with all that crazy stuff they're doing. You probably felt that when you first went in. I did. My wife did. She was looking for the door. What have you brought me into? Hallelujah. God had his way anyway. That was what I prayed. I had a, a pastor with great wisdom that said, do not say one word to your wife. Because I was going to be all zealous and just tell her everything she needed to do and not do. And he stopped me and he said, don't you do it. Leave her alone. Let God deal with her. Thank God I did, Brother Baker. Because God did deal with her. And then God made made it so that I was gone for eight weeks to the mainland Japan so that I wouldn't be around to get in the way when she got the Holy Ghost. Because I'm sure he probably figured I might just get in the way. <clears throat> so it was a little disconcerting to find out that happened while I was gone, but I was excited nonetheless. Hallelujah. Second Timothy 2.26, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive, ensnared, or seduced by him at his will. 
So those people out there right now that aren't sitting in this building right now that don't know who Jesus is, that don't know that they need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and live holy and godly and righteous, they are ensnared by the devil. They're taken captive by him at his will. And they don't know that. They don't. They just don't know. They don't realize how in darkness they are. It's like they are prisoners of war. None of us have ever been prisoners of war. But they're like prisoners of war, and they need to be set free. Talking a good talk is not going to get the job done. We aren't going to impress people with our biblical prowess. We're just not. They don't really care how much we know. What's the rest of that? Until they know how much we care. Because it's, how did Jesus win people? How did he win people? He loved them. He had compassion on them. He loved the ones nobody wanted to love. He wanted, he loved the ones everybody just wanted to kick to the side of the road. Don't, uh, shut up, Bartimaeus. Stop yelling. You're going to bother the master. Bring him to me. The woman with, that was caught in the act of adultery. They thought, surely he's going to jump right in there with us and pick up a stone. He said, no. Those of you that haven't sinned this sin, pick up a stone. Go ahead, throw it. And what happened? They all one by one threw down their rock and went away. Because one way or the other, they had all been guilty of something like that. The way I read it. It's what it says that you, you who are without sin cast the first stone. Whoopsie. He wasn't supposed to say that. And so those people out there are like that woman that was laying on the ground waiting for the stones to come flying and hitting her in the head and killing her. And I'm not talking about little bitty things like this. They were, they picked up a rock as heavy as they could pick up. That's how they stone people today in other countries. They don't just pick up little, little pebbles and, you know, it's not like a BB gun. They, they're trying to kill you. And he said to her, neither do I condemn thee. He didn't say she didn't do it. He just said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We can't condemn people. You don't know what they've been through. We haven't walked a mile in their shoes yet. We haven't even walked five feet in their shoes. But what they need is our love. That's what Jesus did. He loved people. But he loved them enough to not leave them in the place where they were. So we can't just talk our way. You're not going to talk your way into somebody's life like that anyway. You're, they're not going to hear you. Because they're... Ears are deafened and their eyes are blinded. So how do we overcome that? It's only going to be through one thing. Consistent prayer. And not just now I lay me down to sleep prayers. Not just thank you for this food prayers. Not just God bless them. Go to sleep. It's going to be through consistent, fervent prayer. The effectual, fervent, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How much? Doesn't say. But it does avail much. But it's gotta be effectual and fervent. It's gotta be meaningful. It's gotta be kingdom praying, if you will. So when the enemy tells us that it's not working, does he do that? He does. You shouldn't, you shouldn't keep praying. It's, it's not having any effect. You might as well just quit. Because he obviously isn't hearing you, or he's not feeling like answering you right now, or, or he's ignoring you. But who decides when the prayer gets answered and how it gets answered? God does. He just needs us to pray. How many people, how many testimonies have you heard of people 
who grandmother and great-grandmother prayed for them for 30 years, and then one day all of a sudden they just walked into a church building. God heard all them prayers. He heard the prayers of his people for 410 years. And he answered when it was time for him to answer. It's timing. It's all about God's timing. That doesn't mean we just stop praying. Well, (laughs) the Lord's coming. I'm just going to give up on that one. He ain't going to make it. You don't know that. You know, who made us the righteous judge? Nobody. What did that brother say at camp a couple years ago? I'd rather stay on the mercy. I'd rather look at him from the mercy seat and stay away from the judgment seat because he's not even sitting on the judgment seat yet. What was his name from Indiana? I can't remember. Anyway, that's what he said. Let's, let's go to the mercy seat. I'll think of it after. I don't need to know it. When our flesh tries to tell us and to talk us out of praying because whatever reason, the flesh will tell you just about anything. You're tired, your knees hurt, whatever. You can't, you can't listen to that because that's the enemy. That's your flesh. Flesh don't like to pray. Flesh doesn't like to fast. We like our food. We like it every day on a regular basis. And so our body will lie to us and say, oh, this is too hard. You should, you should just quit. You should just go ahead and eat a candy bar. Just quit. But what an honor it is to fast. What do we fast for? To loose the bands of wickedness and to, to let the oppressed go free. That's important. It's worth it to go hungry. It's worth it. Some of us, like me, probably need to go hungry a little more. When it seems, when life seems to get in the way, we got to remain committed and devoted to prayer. Well, I, you know, I, I t- promised myself I'd take care of this, and I promised myself I'd finish that pro- project and that chore, and and it can't wait. But what about the souls of? people in this city and around here that are going straight to a place that wasn't created for them. What about them? You know, it kind of goes back to what that missionary, what God told that missionary wife, if you'll just take care of the things that matter to me, I'll take care of the things that matter to you. Don't you think God's going to do that? Don't you think if you put him first and his kingdom first, we just read that, Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He'll give you the time to do that. Whatever that is, playing golf or whatever it is, he'll give you the time to do that. How many believe that? But we got to be willing to give that time to him first for the sake of souls of this city. It's important. As I've already said, all of us were in sin at one time, and thank God somebody was praying for us. And if you don't believe that, I'm here to tell you, somebody might not have been saying your name, but somebody was praying for you. I will never forget the couple that my wife and I, that came to the church that were going to commit suicide on a Saturday night. We were there on a Saturday afternoon with the the young people praying, just having like a three-hour prayer meeting. And I was on the floor praying, and all of a sudden this... This urgent just feeling just came over me to just intercede and travail. Nobody's name, no details or any information, just this thing just came over me. And so I just, I did what I felt the Lord impressing me to do. And I didn't stop until it lifted. And the next morning we got a phone call from this couple. We need a ride to church. And I jumped out of my seat in the pastor's office. I'll go get them. I don't know why I did that. But I, it was because I was praying. And that couple had, the guy had razor blades in his wallet. They were going to commit suicide Saturday night. And he was a backslidden Pentecostal. Because I listened to the Holy Ghost and prayed, that man and his wife are still living today. Sadly, they're not living in, in for the Lord anymore, but they're still living. There's still a chance. But you never know. 
you might not be a name or a place or anything, but if you feel the urgency from God to pray, you need to stop what you're doing and pray. And you need to pray until you feel like he's releasing you from that. Whatever you're doing at the moment, unless you're at work, you know, just tell them you got to go to the bathroom or something. But go pray. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us were, not willing that any should perish, but that how many? Who is all? The Greek translation for that is, yes, all. Good. bunch of Greek scholars. Woo! He wants everybody. He wouldn't. He's not willing that any should perish spiritually. In God's mind, he, he sees everybody coming to repentance, but God also knows everybody's not going to. And we can't use that as an excuse. Well, they're not all going to come. Why should I even bother? That's not the right attitude. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 says, after he talks about the armor of God and all these things that we need to go into prayer with, don't go into prayer and fighting the devil without your armor. It's not in my notes. Do not do that. Is he still the prince of the power of the air? But he says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What is that? Praying always, there's one of those Greek words again, it means always, all the time, throughout your day, as you're walking, as you're working, you can pray under your breath and, and pray in the Holy Ghost. I heard one preacher say, now that they made this, put, put these masks on, he can walk around praying tongues all day long and nobody can see him doing that. <laughs> he said, the devil's so dumb. I don't want to go there, but, but, and watching spiritually to be watchful and attentive to spiritual things, thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Does God see everybody as a saint initially? Does he see the end from the beginning? He sees us all as we are supposed to be, doesn't he, before we get saved? It's just a matter if we find that place or not. I want people out there to find that place, Brother Becker. I want them to find their place in God. There's stuff here they need to be doing. Does anybody else agree with me? I need, we need some more laborers. The fields are wide into harvest. There's, there's not enough laborers, Jesus said. And for me and for us, I added that, the utterance, that utterance may be given unto me. Paul's asking them to pray for him. And I'm saying we need to pray for one another. That utterance may be given to me, given to us, that we may open, that we may open our mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's you. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Open the mystery of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's simple. Your own testimony. Just start there. He'll take you from there. Trust me. He will. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. That's what we are. We're an ambassador in bonds. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Should We ought to speak boldly, shouldn't we? We need to be ready when the opportunity is manifested by the Lord to, see, to speak the truth in love, and to share the love of God abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We need to be ready to give an answer to every man, every individual, for the hope that's in us. you got to be ready for that moment, for that opportunity when it presents itself. you got to be listening to the Holy Ghost. you got to be listening to the Spirit when He prompts you to, into those places. We're not just praying for the darkness and the blindness to be removed. It's only one part of the equation. What did, what did he say to Paul? 
that you would pray that they would be turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. So we can't just pray the darkness out of the minds of people. And we need to do that. But we need to pray that the darkness, the blindness, the deafness of their ears will leave and that God will give them the ability to hear and see and to know and to understand and comprehend what the what's going on and, and that when the opportunity comes that their eyes will be opened, that they'll see and hear and know what they need to see and hear and know. Because ultimately, when you pray for darkness to be removed from somebody that you're praying for, eventually there's going to be an opportunity for you to open your mouth and speak. When God's removed the darkness, you'll know when the time is, and you'll know what to say. And you'll be teaching that Bible study, and you'll watch the eyes open. You'll see it happen. And you'll know that your prayers were not in vain. The 70 that were sent out and manifested God's power without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they were, they had the power to cast out devils and do all kinds of things. And we have the Holy Ghost. We got power. What, that name of Jesus? Don't even get me started. At the mention of his name, if you even think about it, if you even pray his name in your mind. I heard a story recently about a guy that when he was 14 years old, he was in a boat and something happened and he got knocked out of the boat and it ripped one of his part of one of his legs off and he was underwater and he was, and the only time the, the guy was trying to get him out of the water had time, opportunity to speak to him. He said, just pray, just pray, just pray. They're trying to get him out of the water. He was hung up on a tree or something. And he said all he kept thinking about in his mind, he couldn't even open his mouth because he knew if he did, he'd drown. He just kept saying Jesus in his mind. And the man's a preacher today. He didn't die. But he said all because the name of Jesus. He said it It amazed him the things that happened in that, in that short span of time, getting him out of that water and getting him back in the boat. There's power in that name of Jesus. We need to know that. We need to use that. We're not trying to hurry up and get get this over with so we can go on about our agenda. It's important. It's important. You know, a farmer plows a field before he throws seed out in it. That's what we're doing. We're plowing the field. We're 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 stirring up the fallow ground. We're we're stirring out the rocks and getting the stuff out of people's life when we're praying for them. We were talking about it the other day, or maybe last night, about praying rocks in people's beds and praying that they don't, whatever it is they're doing, they don't have any fun at it. Right? Let none of the mechanics work. Let that stuff taste horrible every time they put it to their mouth. Pray like that. Make them miserable every time they do that stuff, whatever that stuff is. Don't let them be happy. Don't let them find any joy or peace in that because they got that that big old hole right here that they're trying to fill it with everything but what belongs there. And God, don't leave them alone. And don't be surprised if God doesn't do it. And be ready. Be ready to give an answer. Be ready. Luke 18, 1 through 6 the parable of the persistent widow. And then he spake a parable to them. The men always should always pray and not lose heart. This is out of the New King James. Saying, there is, there is in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear that what the unjust judge said. What's that scripture say? Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
One translation says, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Don't just do it once and say, oh, that's good enough. It's not. You know, people that we attempt to reach out to, they will, they will disagree with you. They will. They'll, they'll even argue with you. Some of them might even try to kill you. Has anybody ever heard of a kind of a scenario like that in the Bible? They tried to do that to Jesus, and eventually they did. They tried to do that to Paul, and eventually they did. What's that one guy's name that he wasn't even in ministry a week? Stephen. (laughs) Called into the ministry and was dead within a week for preaching the gospel. What's he asking you to do? I don't know. That's up to him. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in grace and in, that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. We've got to get some people in here so we can commit some things to them so that they can go out and do it. Isn't that what, that's kind of the rotation, isn't it? We get, we become a new convert. We get taught. We learn how the, the things that we need to do and say, and we go out and do it, and we win somebody. Well, the Lord saves them, but we win somebody, and we teach them, and then they go out. You see the progression? That's how it's supposed to work. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So as Laborers together with God were soldiers. That word worth means to serve in war, to be a soldier. The apostolic office is connected with hardships, trials, and dangers. Hmm. Does that include what we're doing? It's not supposed to be all fun all the time. All comfy, cozy all the time, is it? No. That word entangled means to be involved in, to be ensnared, to be held in a yoke of bondage. We're talking about a yoke in this list. Being in that yoke. You gotta be careful if you get yourself entangled in this world, you're getting in a different yoke. So we're warring against the gates. Gates of hell should not prevail against the church of the living God. I, I like this, this analogy. Gates are stationary. You don't pick up gates and fight with them. They're stationary. So the gates of hell are stationary. We are fighting against, when you attack the gates of a city, you are attacking your offensive. So this is an offensive thing. We are going after, we're not devil chasers, but we're going after the enemy. We're, we're binding and loosing. The Bible says, whatsoever we bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatsoever we loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. But he's waiting for us to say it. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We gotta ask God if we don't have a burden and a desire to see the lost saved, we seriously gotta go to God and, and ask Him to give us that. I'll never forget there we had a, a preacher's wife down in Louisiana many years ago, forty something years ago, that her husband went there and they were they were starting to work, and he would just pray and fast, and she just, as a young preacher's wife, she just didn't get it. She didn't understand it as she tells the story. And finally, one night, he said, just ask God to give you the desire. Just pray and ask God to give you the desire. And so she did. She kept praying and praying and praying and praying. And she said one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, she woke, woke up and sat bolt upright in bed and was just weeping. And talking in tongues. And she's like, what in the world is wrong with me? And God had just answered her prayer. And he, she said from that day forward, she had a desire for souls like you never saw. She's been, a, she's still a soul winner today in her nineties. And so we got to ask God. 
to give us a desire if we don't have one. I don't know about you, but I when I when we go sit in a restaurant or when we walk around the store or whatever, I really try hard and I, and I I do. I really try hard to look at people and imagine them being full of the Holy Ghost. I do. And I try to say things to myself like they they wouldn't act like that if they had the Holy Ghost. If they really knew who Jesus was like I know who Jesus is. Oh my God, they would make a great apostolic God. Because everybody out there, no matter how rude, crude, mean, or whatever they are to you, they're a soul that needs salvation, no matter what they're going through, no matter how angry they are. And we're dealing with a lot of darkness and a lot of spirits and a lot of principalities and a lot of a lot of mindsets and strongholds in this world today. Even so much the more, as the Bible says, you see the day approaching. How much more does this world need us to pray? Because that's how the church was born. Okay? 120 or so people, about 120, the Bible says, in an upper room. They didn't just go there and sit around because they were getting ready to receive something called the promise of the Father. They prayed, and it even says that they prayed. And so this is how it's going to happen. We got to get devoted to prayer. We got to ask God for a desire to see souls saved and to be willing to do whatever it takes. Because we are, after all, laborers together with Him. He has conscripted us into His army as soldiers, as warriors. And it is a battle. It's a battle. We gotta pray. We gotta plead the blood. We gotta do all these things. We wanna see family members saved. If we wanna see these backsliders come in, Brother Becker, they're dealing with a lot of hurt and bitterness and all kinds of things, but God is able to deal with that. God stir that Holy Ghost up in them that you know they have and just keep them up awake all night long until, and just talk to them, God, in the spirit. They'll listen. Amen? I could go on and on and on. Praise God. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you tonight. We thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your mercy and your grace, your love for us, Father. You love us enough, oh God, to save us. You loved us enough to deliver us. You love